Behind the songs in the Blue Psalter is the Belgian Confession of Faith. As we continue along, <clears throat> continue along in the summary of the basic teachings of God's Word found in this confession, Belgic Confession, Article 13 tonight, found on page 75 behind the songs. Article 13, you may follow along as I read. We believe that the same God, after He had created all things, did not forsake them or give them up to fortune or to chance, but that He rules and governs them according to His holy will, so that nothing happens in this world without His appointment. Nevertheless, God is neither the author of nor can be charged with the sins which are committed. For His power and goodness are so great and incomprehensible that He orders and executes His work in the most excellent and just manner, even then when devils and wicked men act unjustly. And as to what He does surpassing human understanding, we will not curiously inquire into farther than our capacity will admit of. But with the greatest humility and reverence adore the righteous judgments of God which are hid from us, contenting ourselves that we are pupils of Christ, to learn only those things which He has revealed to us in His Word without transgressing these limits. This doctrine affords us unspeakable consolation, since we are taught thereby that nothing can befall us by chance but by the direction of our most gracious and heavenly Father, who watches over us with a paternal care keeping all creatures so under His power that not a hair of our head, for they are all numbered, nor a sparrow can fall to the ground without the will of our Father, in whom we do entirely trust, being persuaded that He so restrains the devil and all our enemies that without His will and permission they cannot hurt us. Therefore we reject the damnable error of the Epicureans who say that God regards nothing but leaves all things to chance. And then we'll turn to the Holy Scripture tonight. It's a very brief passage, Matthew chapter 10. Matthew 10, verse 29, page 1511. Matthew chapter 10, verse 29, it's all the way down at the bottom of the right-hand side, right-hand column of the page. This is uh, Christ speaking here. This is God's holy word. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will of your Father. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Whoever acknowledges me before men, I will acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. So far the reading of God's holy word. Beloved congregation in the Lord Jesus Christ, everybody needs a little consolation. And it's not just sometimes that we need consolation. But all of us are living in the fallen world. All of us are living and suffering to some degree under the common curse. 
it is rare that a day or a week goes by when there isn't some kind of trouble in our lives called to our mind. And maybe it's not the immediate trouble that we're experiencing, but it's our thoughts about the future and our uncertainty about things maybe that even have happened in the past and whether or not we can overcome the consequences of the things that have gone on in our lives. Everybody at some point needs consolation and really if we face the reality of our condition, we always need a consolation. But we don't just need some false comfort, some fleeting wishful thinking to comfort us, especially in our darkest moments. We need real consolation. The kind of consolation of which Belgic Confession Article 13 speaks. It uses a very strong word describing what the doctrine of God's providence gives to us in our very practical day-to-day troubles. It says that this doctrine affords us unspeakable consolation. Unspeakable consolation. The kind of consolation that can answer the kind of trouble that makes us silent. The kind of trouble that if you try to explain to somebody all of the the depth of your concern and all of its intricacies and complexities and all of your worries and all of your shame, whatever it might be, that you can't even speak about it because you couldn't even describe it yourself and you know that the Lord alone knows to the depths of your soul the trouble that you're facing and how the consequences of your own sins or the consequences of other people's sins against you or just the fact that you live under the common curse, how that's all intertwined. It's unspeakable sometimes. And the doctrine of God's providence and His government of all things is the answer, the consolation that that conviction, that understanding, when you embrace that, when that truth belongs to you by the grace of God, it gives you the kind of consolation that will answer any kind of distress. And ultimately, yes, too, will alleviate uh, that distress. If not in this life, most certainly in the life to come. So this doctrine is affording us unspeakable consolation. And of course, all of us as fallen sinners want to ask the very basic question, then, people who are struggling along, who need consolation, how do I have it? How is it that I can make it my own? It is sad that at times when the doctrine of providence is discussed. It's only discussed in an abstract way. And of course, it's important when we uh, consider doctrine, of course, on any topic, to be very careful and very measured in how we say things and to be, be very precise about what the Word of God says. But we never want to divorce that precision and that doctrinal conformity and understanding of the Word of God. We never want to separate that from the very practical consolation and comfort that it gives us because they're connected. If you're wrong about understanding how God is a God of providence, then you will not have the unspeakable consolation that the Scripture offers us, that the Father offers us through the Lord Jesus Christ. So it's important to understand this doctrine, but it's important to understand this doctrine in connection specifically uh, to our comfort. How do I get this comfort then? How do I have unspeakable consolation to face anything that comes my way in life? Well, first of all, we have to believe the Gospel. If we don't believe the gospel, we have no foundation for comfort in the providence of God and knowing that he is in absolute control will do nothing for us. In fact, it might even frighten us. We have to believe the gospel. And this is good news tonight for each of us sitting here. Because the Lord meets us again tonight and he reminds us that whoever we may be and whatever we have done and however much hypocrisy 
and faithlessness we may have shown the Lord, and however much inconsistency we may find when we examine ourselves in light of the holy law of God, which cuts us to the very depths of our being and makes us uncomfortable at times, he says to people like us, I love you because I have sent Christ for you. And he has shed his precious blood to alleviate you from all of your guilt and all of your shame. Yes, what you deserve, but no, what you will not receive. And if your conscience is accusing you, Christ is more powerful than your conscience. And he has purchased you with his precious blood. And his perfect, obedient life has been credited to you. So no matter how you view yourself, no matter how you may feel the attacks of Satan coming to condemn you, no matter how other people will look at you and judge you, Christ loves you and embraces you tonight. And if you don't know that comfort, hear it again, that Christ offers himself to all who will come and admit that they have nothing to bring to him and receive the assurance of your salvation again tonight, all of us, that as certainly as we say, O oh Christ, I have nothing to offer you and I don't deserve your favor and mercy and I cast myself, have mercy on me, O oh Lord. He speaks grace and peace to you tonight. I love you. I forgive you. You belong to me and Satan will not snatch you out of my hand. You will not be able to leap out of my hand, but my spirit seals you unto the day of redemption. You are mine. I love you. No matter what's going on in your life, and now I call you to repentance out of gratitude for my grace. And no, you never earned it, and I never earned it, but it's mercy. But see, if you believe that gospel, then you've got the foundation for unspeakable consolation. Because when you believe the gospel, then you can infer from the truth that God, seeing you even as his enemy, dead set against him, still yet sent what was most precious to the Father, which was his only beloved Son, into the world to save even you. And if you believe that, then you know that God is not going to withhold any good thing from you as long as you live. This is it. How do you have unspeakable consolation? You recognize that in spite of who you are, God sent Christ for you. And if he sent Christ for you, then you know that all of the power of God himself, the, the God who made you and made everything around you, is going to be unleashed, not against you in any way, but only in your favor. He will direct everything in your life for your good and for your salvation. He is not going to waste the precious blood of Christ. He will not send His beloved Son into the world to endure the cross and all of the sufferings and persecutions in the course of His life for you and then turn away from you. You are precious to your Father. Your Father, who is all-powerful, will now, because He has given His Son, of course, exercise His power in your life in every way for your good and for your salvation. That is a fact that is true because the gospel is true. And the scripture speaks this way in, in many places. The most familiar place is probably Romans 8.38. I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor demons nor the present nor the future nor any powers or height or depth or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing will separate you from the 
love of God that is in Christ Jesus your Lord, no matter what it is, because He's unleashing all of His power to bring everything into your life, everything that happens, good, bad, or otherwise, for a good reason and for your salvation. Isaiah 48.9 says it like this, For my own namesake, the Lord says, I will delay my anger for the sake of my praise. I hold back my anger from you so as not to cut you off. And of course, of that prophecy, he's speaking to the nation of Israel and how he's directing all the course of events of world history and putting in the heart of foreign kings either to attack or to delay their attacks against Israel. And he's saying, I'm controlling everything that happens in the world, Israel, specifically for the purpose of saving you from my judgment. And the scripture teaches us to apply that personally to ourselves. Everything that happens to you or doesn't happen to you is for your good and for your salvation because He cares for you. All of the power of God unleashed for you. It's like in John 9, as Jesus goes along, He sees a blind man from birth, and the disciples asked Him, who sinned, this man or his parents, that He was born blind? And He says, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this happened in this man's life. He was blind so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. The man's blindness was an occasion not only for him to be healed of his blindness, if you remember the story, but it's an occasion for his spiritual blindness to be lifted so that he would be saved. This was certainly a bad thing that this man was born blind, but God directed it in his life for a good reason and for his salvation. And this man knew that because he saw his spiritual need for the Savior. And he knew that if Jesus would come to save him, forgive him, even a sinful man, then of course, a little thing in a sense like his blindness is directed for his good and for his salvation. So that's how we have unspeakable consolation. We can face anything because we keep reminding ourselves that God has directed it in our lives for a good reason and for our salvation. And we say it over and over again in distress. And if you're not in distress tonight, then burn this in your memory so that when you are in distress, you will be able to say this and remind yourself that God will not withhold any good thing from me. Everything in my life He directs for my good and for my salvation to His glory. Now, the poison that finds its way into the otherwise good cup is the idea that God really isn't in control. Because immediately when we hear the idea that God is directing everything in His world which He has created for His own reasons and for His own glory and for our good and for our salvation, immediately when we hear that idea, we kind of resist it. Because we start thinking about some of the problems. If we really want to believe that God directs everything in the world then what about all the bad things, say, that are happening to me in the first place? And what about all the wicked acts of not only myself, but of other people that I see? Are we really saying that God directs all of the things? I mean, everybody believes that God is in control. People are very comfortable using uh, the word that's uh, also used here in the confession. For example, that God grants His permission Right near the right-hand side column, Article 13, being persuaded that he restrains the devil and our enemies that without his permission they cannot hurt us. Everybody agrees with that, but some are unwilling to go beyond that, and that's certainly true, but some are willing to go beyond that, or not willing to go beyond that and say that he actually directs things. 
doesn't sit right with them. Wouldn't that make God a guilty of sin himself? Wouldn't then we have to look at natural disasters in the world and blame God for all the suffering that comes as a result of those things? Well, it's very important if we're going to truly have unspeakable consolation simply not to compromise on this point. Okay, we're going to have to submit ourselves to the Word of God. As we read in the Confession, we have to learn only those things which He has revealed to us in His Word without transgressing these limits. And one of these things on this idea that He has taught us in His Word is that absolutely He directs everything that happens in the world. Everything. Nothing happens in this world without His appointment. Nothing. And that doesn't just mean that after he creates the world, he sustains them. Of course, that's what he does. He sustains everything that he made. Hebrews 1.3, the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. He sustains all things by his powerful word. That means that he makes the world and he keeps it going so that it doesn't implode and fall apart into disorder and disarray. Acts 17, God is not served by human hands as if he needed anything because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. So he sustains everything he's made, but it's more than that. It's not just like God makes the world, keeps it in order, and lets things go according to what everybody else wants to do. And he sort of involves himself at points to adjust the knobs to make sure things don't go too far out of what he would otherwise have planned. That is not what the scripture says about God's relationship to the world. He says very clearly over and over again in the Scripture, and we'll try and use some passages that are not as familiar tonight to defend this, because this is a common theme for us, isn't it? But it does say very clearly in the Scripture that He controls and directs everything in the world that happens. Acts 17, 26, From one man He made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth, and He determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live can't be any more clear. God set for every man, woman, child the exact places where they should live and the times in which they would live. We're going to lump together three Proverbs which are very clear about the extent of God's control over everything that happens in life. First of all, Proverbs 16, 33. The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. Now think about this. The lot is cast into the lap. This is like the roll of the, roll of the dice. And if you've got to die, and if you roll a 1 through 3, your decision will be yes. If you roll a, a 4 through 6, your decision will be no. And then if you roll a 6, and you say no to that decision, you may look at it from one perspective and say, well, the reason why the answer will be no is because the die landed on 6. But the Scripture says when you consider the rolling of that die, what you have to understand is that the Lord is the one who is directing that die. Or Proverbs 21.1, the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. He directs it like a water course wherever he pleases. So think about a great political ruler. Think about the president of the United States hearing from his advisors sitting in the Oval Office and making a very difficult decision. He has agonized in his heart He has poured over all of the details and all of the advice that he has been given and he's agonizing already. He finally comes to a decision out of the depths of his heart 
And what does the scripture say? You have to remember that the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. He, the Lord, is directing it like a water course wherever he pleases. So don't be deceived by the truth of the fact that you made a decision based on the roll of the dice. Don't be deceived by the fact that somebody carefully thinks about what they are going to do and then makes a decision. Know that all of that is directed by the Lord. Proverbs 16.9, this is probably the one of the most famous ones, but it's often misquoted. Proverbs 16.9, in a heart, in his heart, a man plans his course, but the Lord determines his steps. In his heart, a man plans his course, but the Lord determines his steps. Now that doesn't mean that man makes a decision and then God changes his mind and it goes a different way. That's not what the proverb is saying. The proverb is saying that it's describing the same action. The same way that a man plans in his mind to go a particular way, the Lord is the one who is determining his steps. They're both true. Right? Man is responsible and they make decisions. They do what they want to do. And the Lord is working through those secondary causes to bring to pass whatever He wants to bring to pass in the world. Ephesians 1.11 In Him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of the Father who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of His will. Not some things, not only spiritual things, but everything in His world. He works it out in conformity with the purpose of His will. Jeremiah 5.23 These stubborn uh, people have rebellious hearts. They have turned aside and gone away. They do not say to themselves, let us fear the Lord our God who gives autumn and spring rains in season, who assures us of regular weeks in harvest. But they think it happens, the passage will go on to say, paraphrasing, they think it happens by a chance or just by the fact that you know the seasons are fixed by their own power and that God is distant from his creation he says no that's what stubborn and rebellious people believe the people of God understand that he is the one who gives autumn and spring and rains in season if it's raining it's because he directed it to rain and he assures by his power the regular weeks of the harvest providing for all of His creatures the food they need. Jeremiah 27, With my great power and outstretched arm, I made the earth and its people and the animals that are on it, and I give it to anyone that I please. Now I will hand all of your countries over to my servant Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and I will make even wild animals subject to him. Here is the Lord speaking of what is going to be a monumental event in world history, the transferring of power of one nation to a, a foreign nation. And the Lord says, I am the one who is doing this. You know, you want to sit back and you want to analyze all of the political machinations of the day. You want to see what's being decided all in the back rooms. Well, I'll give you the ultimate reason why anything is happening, says the Lord. It's because I am directing it in my world. Acts 14, 17. He has not left himself without a testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their season. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. Everything that happens, happens directed by the Father. Job, chapter 1. Here's the news. Suddenly a mighty wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house where all of his sons and daughters were having a party and it collapsed on them and they died 
And I am the only one, the messenger, escaped to tell you, Job. And Job gets up and tears his robe and he shaves his head and he falls to the ground in worship and he says, Naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I will depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. And Job looks at a terrible tragedy in his life, the loss of his very children. And Job does not say that Satan has somehow overpowered God to make this happen. And somehow the evils uh, out in the world that are really our fault because Adam fell into sin and so we have storms and things that will overcome us and destroy us. Well, God doesn't have anything to do with that. You know, that's all the kingdom of Satan and he's in control of that. No, Job didn't say that. Job said, the Lord has given and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. And the Lord does not rebuke Job at that point. In fact, the scripture says in all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. Because Job knew that God directed everything in his world. Proverbs 8, 15 and 16. By me, kings reign and rulers make laws that are just. By me, princes govern and all nobles who rule on the earth. Ezra 1, 1. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah, the Lord moved the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia, to make a proclamation throughout his realm and to put it in writing. The Lord is the one who directs even the actions of man. Every man, woman, and child does what they do. Things happen the way they happen because nothing happens in this world without God's direct appointment. Daniel 2.21, he changes times and seasons. They don't just change because time goes on and, oh, it's time for the calendar to change. Oh, it's that time of year. The earth is, or, the earth is uh, going around the sun. And so it must be that these things happen. And those are all accurate descriptions of things that happen in the world. But what is behind all of that? It's that the Lord is controlling it. He changes times and seasons. He sets up kings and he deposes them also. He gives wisdom to the wise and he gives knowledge to the discerning. Isaiah 46.10 I make known the end from the beginning. From ancient times, what is still to come. I say, my purpose will stand and I will do whatever I please. Psalm 115.3 Our God is in heaven. He does whatever pleases Him. He directs everything. The confession is sensitive to us because it knows that we'll ask the question about then God being responsible for sin or God being evil. We see that it reminds us God neither, however, is the author of nor can be charged with the sins which are committed. His power and His goodness are so great and incomprehensible that He orders and executes His work in the most excellent and just manner, even then when devils and wicked men act unjustly. And what that's saying is this, that God is 100% in control and directing everything that happens in the world for a good reason and for your salvation and for His glory. And any of the a sinfulness of any of the actions can only be attributed to those secondary causes which freely carry them out. The sinful men who commit these evil actions. 
And we say, well, how do you bring those two things together? The fact that God is in absolute control of everything that happens in his world and he's directing all those things, but he has no involvement in the evil of them. There is no evil intent. All things are working together for good. And yet, on the other hand, mankind is guilty for the sins that he is committing as they are the secondary causes, bring those things to pass. They're responsible for the sins. How do we bring those things together? And the answer in the confession is, as to what he does surpasses human understanding, we will not curiously inquire into farther than our capacity will admit of, but with the greatest humility and reverence adore the righteous judgments of God, which are hid from us, contenting ourselves that we are students of Christ, to learn only those things which he has revealed to us in his word without transgressing these limits. In other words, there's no answer to that question. There's no answer to the question, how do you reconcile the idea that God directs everything that happens in your life for a good reason and your salvation and that he's not guilty, of course, as he's the fount of all good and the secondary causes through which he accomplishes all these things are 100% responsible for their evil decisions their intent to harm, how do you bring these two things fully together and comprehend them completely? Well, you can't. Because our finite minds cannot grasp the majesty of God and all of the complexities of how all these ideas work together. The Scripture clearly states that God is in absolute control, as we've seen over and over and over again, reminded of that tonight, and it states that mankind is responsible for sin. We know that, we believe that. And then we shut our mouths. But not shutting our mouths so that we have our theology straight and doctrine straight just for the purpose of having it straight, but because this is the basis for our consolation. We know and believe this, and then it is applied to us because when we understand this, we can really believe that He's working everything for our good. You see, if you get rid of this idea that God is in absolute control directing everything that happens, then you've, that's the poison that falls into the cup, right? That idea that that's not really happens. God's really not that much involved, not that much in control. If you believe that, then you don't have a foundation to really have unspeakable consolation because somebody somewhere is going to be able to thwart God's will if he's not really in control. Let's think about prophecy. We'll close with this. You think about why it is that God is able to predict things that are going to happen in the future and, and know with certainty that it's going to happen when He says it. You will be driven away, Daniel 4.25. You will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like cattle and be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and gives them to anyone that he wishes. Now, how is the Lord able to say how many times he will have to reveal himself or he'll have to deal with his uh, people Israel before they will come to an understanding of what he's trying to teach them? How, how can he say? How does he know? Well, the only possible way for him to know what's happening in the future and to guarantee that he is not a liar when he speaks it is then to direct everything so that it happens the way that he said. Isaiah 3, See now the Lord Almighty is about to take from Jerusalem and Judah both supply and support. All supplies of food and all supplies of water. He's going to take from them the hero and the warrior. He'll take from them the judge and the prophet. 
the soothsayer and the elder, the captain of fifty and the man of rank. He'll take away the counselor, the skilled craftsman, and the clever enchanter. Well, now how does the Lord know that all of those people, all of the leaders and the artisans of the Israelite community are going to be taken away from the people? Because He's going to direct it to happen that way. That's the answer. And He couldn't speak that with any confidence, nor could we have any confidence in anything that God says about the future unless we understand that He's directing everything. So that it will certainly come out that way. That God's will in accomplishing the ends is not dependent on if somebody cooperates or happens to go the way that He would want them to go. Numbers 23, 19. God is not a man that He should lie, you see, or speak with contingency. That's the idea. God is not a man that He's going to say something but in one certain degree be powerless to make sure that it's going to happen. You know how we are. We make commitments all the time. We say, oh, I know how that's going to turn out. I've seen that a thousand times. And then as soon as you say that, what happens? It breaks the other way. And then you're standing around the water cooler the next day and you say, oh, can you believe that happened? We were all talking about that yesterday. I can't believe it. Prognosticators of every kind. Stock market. The economy. Politics. The weather. Anything that man says. God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of a man, that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Here's the key question. Does he promise something and not fulfill it? Of course not. He's the Lord, and he's able to fulfill everything that he prophesies because he's directing everything to come to the end that he had ordained and that he had announced. The kind of consolation that can answer unspeakable discouragement is the consolation which knows that if God has loved me in Christ and redeemed me, one of His enemies, lost in my sins and miseries and hopeless, then He is going to unleash all of His great, sovereign, providential power to direct everything also in my life for my good and my salvation. Everything. The things that are good, the things that are bad, the things that you don't even think about. God is working now out of His great knowledge and His great power to direct everything in your life for your good and your salvation and nothing Nothing can stamp out that comfort. You know what? That's a comfort that's at work in your life even if you're not perceiving it, even if you're not enjoying it and thinking about it. The Lord is directing everything in your life for your good. Whatever you face tonight, whatever you may face in the future, you have this unspeakable consolation because your God is a God of love and He is a real God. He's in control. May the Lord be praised in all of His glorious ways. His high, mysterious ways. May He give us grace to enjoy this unspeakable consolation. Amen. Let us pray. Father, it's a wonder to us that you would even care to look down upon us and to number all the hairs of our head. 
small things like you even directing to provide for the sparrow and all of the beasts of the wild kingdom, their food, to sustain all of your creation and these common things, Lord, you very much uh, care for. We look at the flowers of the field and we see their beauty. We look at the skies above and we see the order in your universe. And then we look to our own lives and see that that power is at work. We are of much more value than these common things. As you have instructed us, you care for us deeply and you guide all of our ways. You bring everything into our lives for a good reason. We thank you for your love and your compassion. Lord, help us to take our eyes off of ourselves and our miseries and look to you and to trust you. Help those who are suffering tonight to uh, receive that, uh, that true comfort from this consolation you give. And then uh, those who are, are strong tonight, Lord, and, and joyful and even happy in your uh, kind providences to them in, in good circumstances and happy ones, will you cause them to give you glory and not be proud but to really enjoy uh, your blessings with thanksgiving. Thank you, Father, that you are the mighty God and that you control all things. Help us to believe this for your glory. Amen.